Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braden. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, we got a great show lined up for you guys. We got Stephen Lassen about to join the show for his latest weekly appearance on the podcast. So we'll get to that in just a second. But hey, I know if you look at the schedule this week, there are four conference games we'll go break down all the games with steven didn't even skip any this time but this weekend scheduled not as great as most and certainly not as great as the matchups we got coming on rivalry weekend the sec here on monday announced the kickoff and broadcast information for rivalry weekend so i don't want to get too caught up but that really is the best week of college football All these teams hate each other. Man, there's good food, good times, spending time with family. So let's get right into uh, these kickoff times for Rivalry Weekend. And, of course, it starts on Thanksgiving evening there with the Egg Bowl. Mississippi State at Ole Miss, nationally televised ESPN, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 Central. Cannot wait for the Egg Bowl. That's one of my favorite games every year. And this year, we always have a a game on Black Friday, Missouri-Arkansas. Now we got two games. So, yes, Arkansas at Missouri, nationally televised on CBS, 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central. That is going to be a big-time matchup for both those programs. They're both potentially going to be fighting for a bowl berth in that matchup. They got to take care of business. Uh, Missouri's got to take care of business this weekend to set that up. Arkansas, they could accomplish that against Ole Miss. So, hey, they play for a trophy in this one, too. I know Arkansas fans don't honor it, but still, I love this game. And then after that, 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central, Florida at Florida State, nationally televised ABC. I remember when that came down, Florida was not too happy. I believe this was Florida State's decision to move it to Friday. Not a great setup for fans, particularly the team, going to Nashville on the road, coming back a day early to face the Seminoles in a pivotal matchup here. First matchup against Florida State with Billy Napier as your head coach. So a lot on the line for Napier. Cannot wait to watch that one. Selfishly, I like it on Friday. That way I can devote all my attention to it. And then on Saturday, South Carolina at Clemson, nationally televised on ABC, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central That could be one hell of a matchup. Georgia Tech at Georgia, nationally televised ESPN, noon Eastern, 11 o'clock Central. I'm sensing a theme here. All these games so far, big-time networks. I mean, that gives you an indication of how great some of these matchups could be potentially. And, and hell, even if uh, it's a team like the Yellow Jackets getting their ass kicked, the whole world's going to be able to watch it here. Louisville at Kentucky, SEC Network, 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 Central. A lot on the line for this one in the Bluegrass State. Mark Stoops needs to keep old Scott Satterfield under his boot, so to speak. You know, this this is where you really lose fans. You lose to Vanderbilt, they'll forgive that. You you start losing your in-state rival that you've turned that rivalry around. That's when you're going to have issues. So a lot on the line 
potentially for Mark Stoops in that one. The Iron Bowl, selected by CBS, 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central. Auburn at Alabama. Cadillac versus Saban. Round one. (laughs) Probably the only round, but who knows? Who knows? Big-time matchup there. The Iron Bowl, Auburn maybe on a two-game winning streak. How about it? Get some momentum going into that matchup before they lose by 50. 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 Central. LSU at Texas A&M, nationally televised ESPN. Oh, boy. Big one there for Jim. Maybe Jimbo can calm some of these waters we got in College Station by getting an upset over LSU. LSU's already clinched the West. How motivated are they for this matchup? We'll find out. It's quickly becoming one of the better rivalries in the SEC when, when it comes to the new ones, at least. Cannot wait for LSU at AM. And then last but not least, 7:30 Eastern, 6:30 Central, Tennessee at Vanderbilt SEC Network. There's rumors of the checkerboard by Tennessee fans. They're gonna try to checkerboard Vanderbilt Stadium. We'll see if they can get that done. Oh boy. Cannot wait for and who knows? I mean, this is a week you you pencil in, oh, this team's going to win for sure. That team's going to win for sure. A lot of upsets in these rivalry games. It doesn't matter where the game's played, what the spread is. Like I said, these teams hate each other. A lot of hate between all these matchups here. Rivalry weekend, a week and a half away from kickoff there. But, hey, we got games this weekend. and The best one, in my opinion, Ole Miss at Arkansas. And we'll get to K.J. Jefferson's update here from Sam Pittman in just a second. But had to share this from Lane Kiffin reviewing the Alabama loss. He was asked about the referees. Man, the Ole Miss fans are fired up at the refs. Imagine that. But Lane Kiffin, one of the best quotes he's had all season. He apologized to Jackson Dart's mom. And his mom, not Lane Kiffin, He's very clear about that. Jackson Dart's mom calling out the SEC officials. I bet you Lane Kiffin gets fined for this anyway. Uh, there was a, a lot made uh, during the game and after the game about officiating on, on social media and whatnot, um, which some hits and some non-calls. Uh, you retweeted some stuff. Could we just get your thoughts on the officiating from that game? Yeah, you probably missed me by a day. I probably would have said a lot of different things. But like I said, I've you know put the game behind us. We can't go back and win the game by calling a different play, changing something. So um, it is what it is. Um, you know, obviously the Jackson part and after the whistle stuff, um, you know, is disappointing. Talk to his mom, um, you know, just kind of apologize, even though it's out of our control. So, you know, like she mentioned, it's just a shame her son gets treated different based off what SEC program that he's at. Um, on game day and protect the difference. So, um, you know, is what it is. And, you know, we move on. I suspect you won't answer and this. And let's make sure that quote was right. Like she said, not me. I really don't want to get fined today. You can't find me for what someone else says. This is why I suspect you won't answer this, but there was a pervasive thought around the league that different programs are treated different ways, that different programs are officiated different ways through different filters. You've been 
on both ends of that spectrum. Do you see a difference? Hmm. Um, I mean, that's been talked about for a long time, being around this conference. Um, I know fans do whatever, but as coaches. Um, so I'll just say I've been on both sides of it. And um, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so how great was that? Lane, man, when he wants to, he delivers it right there. I, I love that comment. And, yeah, I post this online. You see all the comments. If you hate Alabama, Kiffin's 100% on. If you if you love Alabama, Kiffin's just a sorry-ass, sore loser. So <laughs> it's always wild to me how different fan bases have very different reactions to the same clip. But I digress. Arkansas, big matchup here. This Ole Miss, I would say one of the biggest rivals that Arkansas's got in the SEC. These Razorback fans hate Ole Miss. And for a while there, they dominated them in every sport. Ole Miss was able to swing that back last season in that classic. I believe the final score was 52-51. If you don't remember, Arkansas scored, I believe, with, with as time expired. They went for two, didn't get it done. And that was your outcome in the ball game. Hopefully we get another showdown like that. It's going to depend a lot of that on K.J. Jefferson's status. Sounds good, according to Sam Pittman. Coach, um, status of K.J., is he going to be able to practice this week as normal and prognosis for Saturday? Um, we we anticipate him practicing. Uh, we anticipate him practicing today. We anticipate him playing on Saturday. Those things certainly change. They have over the last two weeks. But I know he feels better than he has uh, since the Auburn game. We'll have to see how he is at practice, to be perfectly honest with you. But I think he feels – well, I know he feels better than he has in the last two weeks. Now, of course, you got to note, you know, similar things were said last week. So, no guarantees that K.J. plays. But this is his home state, Mississippi, and this game – uh, I remember last year he had a bunch of family members there. So this game means a lot to KJ, means a lot to the Arkansas season. They can become bowl eligible with a win. Either way, it's going to be one hell of a game. And at least based on the point spreads, potentially the best game of the weekend in the SEC. Now, final thing here before we get to our interview with Steven. <laughs> Old Sleevegate, they're called it down there at College Station. Jimbo Fisher was asked several times about Moose Muhammad and if they have some kind of policy on the sleeves and all this, he didn't reveal much, but man, he, he did not, he did not want to get into this one for whatever reason. Drive's going. Moose had posted that he was benched because he didn't, he kept the sleeves on. I'm just getting your response. That was an internal issue in which we handled and, it's, and we've, we've, we've addressed it and we've all talked and moving on. So Muhammad be available this week. Weekend? Yes. What about the four freshmen that were suspended before? Will they be available? This week? No. Do you have a policy on arm sleeves and when and when they can't be worn? Yeah, we've already discussed all that. We put that to bed. Well, yes. It, yes. It, it, yes. Is the... yes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so apparently the story is true. I mean, I don't know the, the whole dealings there. I, I can't believe it's just the sleeves, but yeah, I mean, I guess he, he asked all the skill position players not to wear sleeves. Moose Muhammad refused. His ass sat in the game that they could have desperately needed him to potentially get a win at Auburn. So 
God, this is just troubling. So, I, I mean, at this point, I think it's safe to assume all these guys that are suspended and getting into trouble, they're going to be hitting the portal. Would be that, that doesn't mean they're going to leave, but I think they're going to test the waters, so to speak. So, I know Moose Muhammad would be utilized in a lot of SEC offenses if he were. He was. He's been really coming on, and you know whether you believe this sleeve thing or not. I mean. The fact that this is either he don't want to take it off or the fact that they're asking him to take it off. I mean, this is just, it's a shit show down there is, is all it is. And last little clip here from Jimbo. I just thought this was hilarious. <laughs> this shows the value. And it's not just Jimbo. It's all these coaches. When they say someone's day-to-day, here's the true value of that. The reporter didn't even get to ask He's asked for injury updates. He didn't even get to say the names. Jimbo says, oh, they're all day-to-day. Jimbo, just a quick injury update on several guys. Mac Johnson. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get Ray. into a lot of where they're at. They'll all be day-to-day. And then when you look. <laughs> so day-to-day means good luck. You'll find out on Saturday come kickoff here or in, in warm-up. So I just thought that was fantastic. At least Jimbo's got himself. Uh, he's keeping his sense of humor down there in College Station. But all right, let's kick it over to our interview. Steven Lassen, Athlon Sports. Always enjoy these conversations. I hope you guys pick up as much info as I do talking to Steven on a weekly basis. All right, back again for his weekly segment. Steven Lassen, of course, you know him as Athlon Steven on Twitter. He's a senior editor there for Athlon Sports. And, of course, he runs a great YouTube channel, All CFB. 365 go check it out subscribe steven my friend how you doing brother i'm doing good my friend it's it's good to talk to you as always i'm glad to see our weekly segments have continued despite my growing snark as we uh <laughs> go on the season but uh hey looking forward to uh to this this com- uh, coming weekend i know the schedule's got some clunkers on it uh but rivalry games coming up as well so still a lot to play for uh in the sec the next few weeks yeah this weekend steven not the greatest we got you know, this is kind of like the cupcake weekend, most people call it, in the SEC. But who knows? That could lead to some upsets and all the conference games, Stephen. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but uh, all the there, I believe we got four conference games, and all the road teams are favored, which, you know, who knows? I mean, the home team or two could step up and spring the upset. But before we talk about this weekend's maybe this is looking ahead a little steven but i just wanted to pick your brain we got thanksgiving right around the corner the best weekend of college football in my opinion is always rivalry weekend i'm just curious what's your favorite rivalry uh, that, that an sec team plays in on an annual basis going to give you probably a boring answer but i don't think you can go wrong with alabama auburn I think second to that is probably the Egg Bowl against Mississippi and, and Mississippi State. Just the the chaos, the in-state hatred that's been there the last couple of years with, you know, Mullen and then Hugh Freeze and then everything that's gone on in the game too. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just been it's a it's a, a rivalry within the state that I don't know that some people who live outside of SEC country really appreciate it. Uh, so it's always got something wacky, something crazy going on in that one. But I think everybody nationally will probably pick Alabama Auburn. But I think once you go past that, like, you know, can't you can't go wrong with the Egg Bowl. 
Uh, you can't go wrong with Florida, Florida State, too. There's so, so many great rivalries in the SEC. Yeah, perfect answer, Stephen. The The answer is there's no wrong answer. But <laughs> I'm glad you said the Egg Bowl because that's mine. And maybe it is something to do with Thanksgiving. You know, it's a solo game. You can get locked in and just watch it on a Thursday. And just so much madness and can't we get brawls. We get missed kicks. We get dogs peeing. And this is multiple times this has happened. And they fight for a golden egg, which uh, that's the only thing missing from the Iron Bowl is a, is a sweet golden type trophy here. So, yeah, no wrong answer, but I love me the Egg Bowl. So I was just curious to get your thoughts on that. But speaking of the Egg Bowl, Stephen, interestingly enough, this could be the last Egg Bowl featuring Lane Kiffin. Uh, according to what I'm hearing, it's you know smoke is is building, and this is from people on the Ole Miss side that Lane Kiffin could be making that jump. I'm just curious, what's your thoughts on that? And um, you know, could you see that move? Do you think that would be a good move for Auburn? You know, this is not anything new. We've kind of talked about this, but what kind of chaos would ensue, and and what kind of candidates? Do you think we'd be looking at for Ole Miss if Lane Kiffin did leave for the Auburn job? Yeah, I think, you know, Mike, you and I kind of talked a few weeks ago about Hugh Freeze and Lane Kiffin. And I think those two candidates, um, those two coaches make the most sense at this job. I think, as you correctly have pointed out a, a couple times now, you know, the fit, the fit to me is what interests me about Lane Kiffin at Auburn. Just because, you know, when I think of Lane Kiffin, I don't think of a guy who's a very uh, public sort of, facing guy who wants to go around and be the face of the program. I think he's at his best when he's just, you know, ball, you know, coaching ball, scheming, recruiting, whatever it is, you know, you have to be kind of the leader of that family at Auburn. And it's an interesting fit, you know, fit doesn't always necessarily mean anything when it comes to head coaches. I mean, a lot of people make a lot about Brian Kelly going to LSU when he had no SEC experience. It doesn't really matter about that. It really matters about just winning and so I think some of those concerns, if that works out, Lane can just be Lane. And if he wins games, everybody's going to forget about, yeah, maybe he didn't want to be at this event or that. I, I think it makes a ton of sense from the Auburn side for some of the things we've talked about. I mean, he's great on offense. He understands the league. If you want to give Nick Saban heartburn for 365 days a year, you know, hire Lane Kiffin and have him prepare uh, for that offense. And then also some of the things they could do around NIL, in transfer portal. Um, he's been great at the transfer portal at Ole Miss. I think he would do a great job at Auburn. You have an opportunity at Auburn to sort of reset the slate. You know, you're going to come in with an, with a roster that's losing some key pieces. You can go heavy into the portal right away and get better. We've seen this at, at Ole Miss and we've seen it at other places, LSU, other places nationally. So I think from both sides, I think there's some upside. If, if you want to win a national title when you're Lane Kiffin, you got to move up. And also, if you're Auburn, you need someone like Kiffin. Uh, I think I think the fit from a personality perspective is probably better at Ole Miss. You never know what makes a guy tick. And I, and I think that's that's a question that we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. Well, you hit on something very important. So I want to get your thoughts on this, Stephen. But NIL. Now, a lot of people bemoan it. You know, in, they think of the players and recruits and, and, and the transfers and all that all factors into all those decisions, but I think something that we've not yet seen enough of, and I think we're going to start seeing it immediately in this coaching cycle, 
is coaching decisions based on NIL. And it may not even be head coaches, could be position coaches and, of course, coordinators that are so valuable to these programs. Do you think we could see movement based on NIL? And, and for example, John Cohen just left Mississippi State. And one of the reasons cited was Auburn's got their NIL in order, Mississippi State not as much. So do you anticipate that uh, NIL will factor in a lot more with these coaching decisions in the years to come and, and even here a couple weeks down the line when the coaching cycle really starts heating up? Absolutely. I think it's just a part of what college football has, you know, sort of evolved into, you know, in the past, I think it's all about just the coaching contracts, what you can get for your assistance. And those things are still important, but going forward, talent acquisition in college football through high school recruiting, through transfer transfer portal recruiting is going to be so valuable. And the coaches that learn to adapt are going to be the ones that succeed, you know, see Lane Kiffin, see Brian Kelly, um, look at what's going on at Clemson right now. Dabo Swinney's very reluctant to take transfers and you see some of the deficiencies that they've had on offense. And you wonder, well, if they had just added a transfer, uh, you know, recruit or two would have been different. I think it's just going to be a part of college football going forward. And one of the things you can use to go and get talent is NIL. So whether you're high school transfer Whatever it is, the ones that embrace it and use it the most effective are going to be the ones that we talk about as national championship and playoff contenders. Probably a lot of the the teams that we see now, uh, but at a place like Auburn where you're trying to turn things around quickly, it's a very valuable asset to have. Now, let me ask you this. One final thing on Auburn here, but I, I understand Cadillac. He's probably not a serious contender for that job. But, you know, Stephen, who else probably wasn't candidates was guys like Shane Beamer, guys like Sam Pittman, uh, guys like Coach O when he, of course, it flamed out, but they won a national championship. So, I mean, there's and Josh Heupel at Tennessee. I can go on and on and on. If Auburn, which that was just an incredible scene, you beat Texas A&M at home, the fan base was incredible, sellout, uh, alumni, you know, all so many factors. It was one of the best sites we've seen in the SEC this season with a team that had lost five games in a row against another dreadful team, yet they're playing their guts out for Coach Cadillac Williams. If they win out, which I, again, is very improbable, I get it, but hell, uh, you know, him winning a, a game over Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher was improbable uh, when the season started. If they do the unthinkable, beat Alabama on the road under Coach Cadillac. I still I don't know if he'd be the main candidate, but say they strike out on, on Kiffin or Hugh Freeze or whoever their top candidate or two is, could you see a path to Cadillac getting this job again if he pulls an improbable win in the Iron Bowl? You know, I, I think maybe the best way to answer your question is to start with the atmosphere on Saturday night. You know, As a as someone who grew up watching Cadillac Williams play at Auburn and Ronnie Brown, like it's really cool to see Cadillac Williams leading Auburn on the field and then as the head coach and then into a victory on Saturday. So uh, the college football fan in me, uh, you know, it was it was it was just great to see that that environment, too. And, and the environment at Auburn is a is going to be a big selling point. I mean, look at the season that they're having. The stadium was packed. The atmosphere, it made a difference in that game. I think it would take a lot for him to get the full-time job. 
and it would take a lot of other coaches probably to turn it down. Now, saying all that, I do think a coach like Cadillac Williams is, when you look at some of the hires recently, whether that's been Sam Pittman or some of the others in college football, I think there's kind of been a trend to going back to guys who are sort of like ball coaches, and you can be a good CEO, and we can give you the resources to go out and hire a coordinator or two. So if they had to go with that situation and they wrote big time checks for coordinators, it's not the worst idea at all. I will say whoever is the the next head coach at Auburn ought to make their first call to Cadillac Williams and offer him a spot on the staff. Whatever it is, he ought to be on that staff next year at Auburn because it's obvious the players love him and he's a very valuable piece of understanding that program and what it takes uh, to succeed in some of the tradition and history. So he would be my first call. If I'm hired as Auburn's coach, I'm I'm calling him uh, day one to keep him on staff. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, coordinator changes, none of these officially to make a change, but if they don't, I will basically lose confidence in <laughs> the direction of these programs and these head coaches. So let's, let's go in order here, staying with that game, Stephen. Another masterful performance by Jimbo Fisher's uh, strategy here on offense. They were just just god-awful. Literally, the he's squandering the most talent. I mean, we said it just off-air. I mean, without Devon Ochain, who's incredible, should be an All-American, should be first-team All-SEC, this is just the most pitiful offense, maybe since the Chad Morris era there in Arkansas. And this is with uh, you know one of the highest-paid coaches in the country. A&M, I implore you, somehow force Jimbo to, to hire a play caller, hire an offensive coordinator if they get to that point. And by God, Stephen, if they if he hasn't got there by now, he never will. But let's hope and pray that they do so that A&M can turn their program around. Who's a candidate or two that you think – because you also, I mean, they got, the, they got the money. They can literally – they can have the highest paid offensive coordinator in the country, and he's going to have a good quarterback. He's going to have good receivers. He's going to have all the tools to be successful. If A&M, dream candidate here, uh, that are, you know, you can't say Urban Meyer or something like that, but realistic candidates, who do you think A&M should look at this offseason to, to add as offensive coordinator and play caller? If Jimbo Fisher could hire an offensive coordinator, wouldn't his top choice be Jimbo Fisher? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think in all seriousness, I think to your point, there's no excuse for an offense that has Evan Stewart and some of those other playmakers at receiver to be just as as bismal as they were on Saturday. And I know they have a lot of injuries, but man, I mean, Auburn's defense isn't the top of the SEC. They should have at least been able to move the ball a little bit better. I think if you're looking at dream candidates, I think there are two names that come to mind for me right away. One of those is Jeff Grimes the offensive coordinator at Baylor. I think he does a couple things. I mean, you look at his track record at BYU and Baylor, pretty good track record of developing quarterbacks. Also, you know, I think the ability to be physical at the line of scrimmage, but also the ability to have an, a passing attack that can threaten you downfield. You know, he was the offensive coordinator for Zach Wilson at BYU when he was drafted in the first round. So he's got a good track record uh, from the last couple years of taking offenses that were struggling, elevating them and developing the quarterback position and also finding ways to be physical. 
So I would, if I was A&M, he would be at top of my list. Also, I think you have to throw Garrett Riley in there from TCU, um, a, a guy with ties to the state of Texas. You know, he runs kind of a wide open offense too. But, you know, if you watch the TCU Texas game on Saturday and it's been this way all year, it's not just a gimmick like high, you know, air raid offense where you're throwing it 40 to 50 times a game. You can be physical at the line of scrimmage. So I, I think AM with the talent you can get in state and some of the balance that you could have, those two names make the most sense for me. Yeah, and I hear Garrett Riley, Stephen, with literally any coaching or any fan base that wants a new play caller. I've, I've heard it from Missouri, for South Carolina. But TCU's killing it so so much that he's going to have options. Hell, he may be a head coach before long. But the reality is the difference is A&M can get him. And, and that's not to say Missouri and South Carolina can't. But, I mean, like I said, everybody's going to want this guy. And A&M can open – the pocketbooks, they've got the weapons. It's a very, very attractive job. So I'm going to be fascinated to see who they hire. Please, God, just hire someone down there so so we can get this train rolled in the right direction. But also another offense that uh, desperately, it, it appears, needs help, Kentucky, Rich Scangarello. I mean, hell, we got we had Stoops calling him out about two weeks ago, wasn't it, or, or a week ago, and, and then they turn around and lose to Vanderbilt. Now, I'm not putting the entire loss on, on Rich Scangarello by any means, but I th- think it's safe to say he's not getting a job done. So if Kentucky were to make a change, it may be tough to, to pinpoint a guy or two, but who would you pick for that? And, and it may be dictated on who they add in the portal at the quarterback position because uh, clearly you need a, a quarterback and a, and a coordinator to be on the same page. So I'm interested to see who you got in mind for Kentucky. Yeah, I, I think something interesting about Kentucky is the last two hires have come from the NFL. And that kind of makes it a little bit cloudy as far as like, what's the direction that Stoops wants to go here? Uh, I, I don't know. If, I, I should say, I don't think everything is on Scangranello here. Like the offensive line just is is not very good. It's also really hard to turn things around like that when, when the offensive line gets to that point where it's struggling right now. So it's not all on him, but they could also, I think, be a lot more creative and a little bit more effective on offense. So I, I think the the question with this hire, if it were, if this is what Kentucky goes with, you know, do they go back to the NFL or do they stay in the college ranks? You know, Mark Whipple is the offensive coordinator at Nebraska right now. Now he had a parting from Pittsburgh because he didn't run the ball enough, according to his former coach, uh, Pat Narduzzi. You know, he has NFL experience. He's got a track record of developing quarterbacks, too. Maybe he would be someone who who could come in and kind of be that, find that balance of the run game and the passing game. Uh, Paul Christ, you know, the former coach at Wisconsin, might be a kind of a pie-in-the-sky perfect candidate, but he also, NFL experience, a guy who you know sort of been developing offenses that are sort of run-oriented, very physical, good track record with quarterbacks. I think he would thrive in more of an OC uh, quarterback role. So those are two kind of, uh, you know, pie in the sky dream candidates. I think if I'm Kentucky, you know, if you're looking at college ranks, you know, with someone like Brian Brom, who's got ties to the state of Kentucky, he's worked with his brother, uh, Jeff at Purdue. They run a little bit more wide open offense. I don't know that would mesh well with what Stoops wants to do, but you know, certainly I think that's a name that it wouldn't surprise me if, if he gets mentioned in, for an opening like this. 
I want to piggyback off something you said there, Stephen, the, the offensive line being an issue because Mark Stoops here on Monday kind of noted, hey, that can be corrected via the transfer portal, which is wild to hear a Kentucky program say that because, that, hell, that's what kind of what their DNA has always been, outstanding offensive line play. But I know you know this stuff better than anybody. In my experience, Stephen, offensive linemen are very, very difficult to get out of the portal for two reasons. There's there's so few offensive linemen that are that are transferring, and everybody wants help at the offensive line. And, and here's some examples, Stephen. LSU, they had starting spots available across the board, basically. They got a guy from Florida International and a guy from East Tennessee State. Now, they were uh, you know, good players at that level, but... This is LSU. Alabama needed a tackle, and they had to fight Tennessee and LSU for for Tyler Steen. And and I could go on and on and on. There's just there's a the demand does not meet the supply in the transfer portal for offensive linemen. That's that's what I've seen. Would you agree with that? One hundred percent spot on. I think it is going to be very hard to find multiple pieces in the transfer portal that can fix an offense. I think you can maybe get one or two guys and, you know, there is a, to your point, there's a level of quality of play. Like you could bring in some guys and improve your depth, but everybody's looking for starting offensive linemen and there, you know, you need five of them to start. Whereas quarterbacks, you only get to start one. So it's easy to see how guys at the quarterback position can move around. Whereas offensive linemen uh, with the shortage of the, of quality linemen that enter the portal and the need for so many teams to find starters. I think it's going to be really hard to take an offensive line that's at the bottom of the SEC and get it back to the level that we're used to seeing from Kentucky. I think offensive line has been the one spot in the portal era that has not been as deep as some of the others across the board. I don't think that will change this year either. Right. All right. Final Team, I wanted to ask you about, Stephen, about correcting the offense. And we know you're a huge Marcus Satterfield fan, so this it probably pains you to even consider alternatives down there for Shane Beamer's program. But who could come in here and fix this? Um, you know, what's something that is fascinating? I mean, I'm not someone that piles on Spencer Rattler. I think he's got immense talent. Clearly, they're not getting the most out of it. But it's almost like the wrong quarterback for the wrong system because when they have a, a – true running quarterback that offense actually does work a little bit but so i don't know their new play caller will they stick to something like it will they stick to to someone that could get the most out of rattler because i don't think he's got any nfl potential at this point in time based on on this year he he needs another year of seasoning in my opinion who do you think south carolina could bring in there to turn around this unit you know, I think it is a big picture question of what, like, what does South Carolina want to be an offense? And I think the, the only thing we know for sure is that the talent on the roster is not being managed well on the offensive side of the ball. I, I think Jaheim Bell is one of their better weapons, like just all purpose running and receiving. Why he's been not involved as much this year doesn't really make any sense to me, uh, <laughs> among many curious things about uh, South Carolina's offense. But I, I think... I will be looking when assuming there's a move made, finding somebody who can do more with a little bit less. And a name that I kept coming back to and just thinking about like pie in the sky candidates is Warren Ruggiero from Wake Forest. You know, they run that sort of slow mesh play uh, that's really hard to stop. He's been with Dave Clawson, so I don't, there's 
probably not a desire to necessarily move around a lot. But you see what Wake Forest has done as far as sort of developing quarterbacks, developing, receiving, you know, all that stuff. That would play well if I'm South Carolina. So in terms of dream candidates, that would be a name uh, that I would watch. You know, if you're looking for, you know, maybe something different, Willie Korn, former Clemson quarterback, is the co-offensive coordinator at Coastal Carolina. Maybe a little Mm -hmm. bit early. Jamie Chadwell plays a big role in that offense, too, as the head coach. But you see what Coastal Carolina does with some of the creativity on offense in the run game, being able to throw off of that. Um, it'd be a little different than than certainly what they're doing right now, uh, but that's a that's sort of like a um, um, something different that you could see maybe South Carolina being able to do to maximize uh, some of that talent on the roster. So I, I think this will be an interesting hire. I, I think given what they were able to do in the portal, getting players as far as playmakers and quarterbacks should be a strength for Shane Beamer. Uh, they just got to get a system that can put them in a better position to win. Yeah, we'll have to do some kind of memorial for when he's let go because I know you'll be you'll just be devastated. I I was gonna you know I had this thing in mind where you know South Carolina pursued Scott Satterfield before, and I wondered <laughs> if they just had a contract that was drawn up for a Satterfield and they had to find. <laughs> okay, well, Stephen, we have got officially the SEC championship game set in Atlanta here in early December. Georgia, LSU, thoughts on the matchup again. Georgia's going to be a big-time favorite, no doubt. But, man, LSU, they keep finding ways to win. And if the Tigers won, it's not like it'd be the biggest upset in history. Very different than Alabama last year, but everybody was picking Georgia in that game. And Alabama beat them. And the way I would imagine – you. You know, LSU is going to be playing for a spot in the college football playoff where as long as Georgia, if they keep winning they, they're, and they're still dominant, I would make the argument they could lose the SEC championship and probably still get in the the, the playoff. That's, that's not going to be a guarantee, but that, that, I think it's almost safe to assume that. So thoughts on that matchup. And, and before you give me your thoughts, Stephen, I did want to mention this. I kind of teased you with this off air. I think you'll like this one, but I got this from, I heard it from Cole Kublick and I thought it was a, a fantastic comparison, but he compared Harold Perkins to Troy Palomalu in what he does for that madhouse defense, lining up all over the field and, and being asked to do a couple different things. He's, he's just a game wrecker. Could he potentially, if he continues to ascend, be a game wrecker in this SEC championship? Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny because while I was watching the the Arkansas LSU game on Saturday, I was thinking to myself, you can basically pencil in Harold Perkins on the freshman All-America team. And then I stopped thinking, like, <laughs> is that enough? Like, is he already one of the better linebackers in college football? Um, you know, not to get too, you know, you know, over our heads with this, but I mean, that's now a couple games now with Ole Miss, Alabama, and Arkansas where the switch has been flipped and and you're starting to see him get more comfortable in the defense. LSU's finding ways uh, for him to just cause havoc, sort of like you mentioned. So I I think in in a SEC title game with Georgia and LSU, LSU is going to need to steal some possessions because I don't think it can be just 
Georgia gets the ball and scores, LSU can can sort of answer. They're going to have to get a couple takeaways in this game, and and one of the ways you do it uh, is with guys like Ojolari and Perkins coming across the edge. So I think thinking big here, that was one of the better defensive single-game performances I've seen out of a defensive player in some time for Harold Perkins, and then come to find out he wasn't feeling well after the game, so that even made it even more memorable. <laughs> well, you know, How scary is it to think, though, Stephen, that uh, Georgia is playing without A.D. Mitchell, who is fa- – you know, it may be going too far to say he's their best receiver because he's he's not played in a while, but he's the one they talk up as the number one. He made the big play in the national championship game, assuming he returns and he's near 100% by this time. I mean, that's just another weapon to go along with the best tight end group in the country, one of the most experienced and accomplished quarterbacks in the country, and a running game that is humming right now. I mean, it, it's kind of it's scary to think about, isn't it? It really is. I, I think maybe the the broader point that we're getting at here is it's going to be a heavy lift for LSU to keep this game close. I mean, the spread is probably going to be somewhere between 14 and 17 points when this game opens. And, and I think in the big picture for Georgia, I don't know that they'll need Mitchell to win any of the games remaining this season. The good news is they could maybe get him back if they don't need him for the college football playoffs. So I, I think at this point of the year, if you can get him healthy and get him out there for the playoff or the national championship, it's like you said, it's just another weapon on a team that each week just keeps getting a little bit better, putting all the pieces together on offense like we've seen. So that would be another huge addition for a team that's already really hard for the rest of college football to stop. So when you talk about entrenching yourself as the favorite to win the national championship, that's just another check in Georgia's favor. Right, and now they've got Jalen Carter coming on strong as he as he you know gets more and more reps. How, I don't know if there's even an answer to this, Stephen, but how would you go about attacking Georgia's uh, defense? Because because Tennessee, their game plan clearly didn't work. Is is there a game plan out there that you think could you can LSU could have some success against them? Man, you know that, that's a great question. I, I think if you're LSU in that scenario, it has to be Jaden Daniels. Like it's, we saw this last year in the SEC title game where Bryce Young just had the huge day. I don't think Jaden Daniels is necessarily going to have the same yardage and the same big plays to the air, but it's almost like he's your best offensive weapon. So find ways to get the ball in his hands, whether that's on the edge with running plays, moving the pocket. LSU's offensive line is going to have its hands full with Jalen Carter and others on Georgia. So to me, that's the best way to do it. Like you've got to get Jaden Daniels. If you, if he has to run the ball 25 times, if he's going to throw it 30, it goes through him uh, in the SEC championship game. Well, speaking of Georgia, I mean, we, we may be getting a too far ahead of ourselves. They've got a matchup here, potentially a big one here on the road at Kentucky. They're, they're a big time favorite by three touchdowns as I have it here, but you know, maybe, Stephen, Kentucky just suffered what I'm calling the worst loss ever under Mark Stoops because I know they've suffered quite a few losses, particularly early in that tenure, but they're, you know, everything they have at advantage over Vanderbilt, and it was game at home. I don't want to bash them too hard here, but thoughts on this uh, matchup here in Lexington? This is This is a chance for Kentucky to save face, but... <laughs> It's the wrong team to try to do that against the the best team in the country. Again, it may take Georgia to kind of 
under respect them or not respect them, I guess is the proper English way to say that. But uh, thoughts on this matchup? I think it's it's going to take a lot for Kentucky to win this game. You, you know, I think we can look at Georgia's road trip to Mississippi State as sort of maybe a guide for what happens on Saturday. You know, maybe Georgia's a little sluggish out of the gate. The problem is I just I don't think Kentucky can hold up at the line of scrimmage well in this game. You know, can they find some ways to alleviate that concern? Let Will Levis make some plays downfield. It's asking a lot for Kentucky to be able to do that based upon uh, what we've seen this year and what we saw Saturday uh, against Vanderbilt. I, I just I don't really see a path for this game to be all that close. I think Georgia is just better pretty much all across the board. If Kentucky played someone else, I think that they could maybe take out some of their frustration on a different opponent. But man, Georgia, not the opponent that you want to face a week after a, a loss like the one they had at Vanderbilt. Well, I know I've asked you previously about this, Stephen. I think it was heading into the Kentucky-Tennessee game, but I said something to the effect of, uh, you know, can Will Levis prove or, or improve his stock? And you pointed to this game. Now, he t- then he turned three interceptions against Tennessee, so maybe the wrong question, but hell, this is what NFL evaluators are going to go off of more than anything, is how he does against Georgia. And he was pretty good. Uh, you know, he was not Hell, Georgia's defense was was so elite last year. They're still elite, but they were just crushing everybody. But Kentucky, I thought, had a a decent game plan against them. And do you think they could have some success? And, and how much is on the line for Will Levis this weekend going up against these Bulldogs? Can they get Liam Cohen on the phone to <laughs> to game plan this week? Because you know, I, I you know, thinking about last year's game. He, they, Kentucky did some good things on offense in that game. Liam Cohen had, you know, was really creative and found some ways to move the ball mm-hmm. against, uh, you know, the nation's best defense. So I think they're going to need that type of creativity. And they're maybe it's a trick play or two. Maybe it's a score on special teams. Maybe it's a couple turnovers. Uh, something like that. Kentucky's going to need to get that crowd going, sort of seize early momentum and find a way to hang around here. I think on your question about Will Levis and Georgia, I do think it is a pretty good opportunity for him to impress the NFL scouts. I mean, the offensive line is a big concern and it's going to have its hands full. But if he goes out there and has a good game against the nation's, you know, whatever top five defense, you know, I think that'll bode well uh, as we get ready to go into that NFL draft evaluation season. So one game probably isn't going to affect his stock all that much. But if he goes out and has a good game against, you know, like I said, top five defense, I think that scouts will definitely take notice. And, and it certainly doesn't hurt uh, for, for the draft. And I know you're not one to overreact and, and make, you know, clickbait comments or anything like that. But d- would you agree that uh, losing to Vanderbilt last week was the worst loss Mark Stoops ever had? And, and, and also, you know, where does this program go from here? I mean, this was supposed to be arguably their best team and it, and it, Safe to say this is probably going to be one of their most disappointing ones. I think it was. I think just of where, you know, Kentucky in the past, you know, when they didn't have the the winning season under Stoops and now they do, like it almost seemed like Kentucky had gotten past the point of, of losing those kind of games where they're 17, you know, whatever the spread was on Saturday, point favorite at home. Nothing about the way that Vanderbilt had played up to this point of the season said that they should even win that game. I mean, I, I know Kentucky, like we've talked about, 
has some issues on offense, but you know, Vanderbilt with the way that they had played, you didn't think they could, maybe they could cover, but maybe not go into Lexington and get the victory. So I was really surprised. I, I think I trust Stoops to push the right buttons this off season defensively. You know, they're one of the best in the sec. He made a great hire in Liam Cohen last year. Um, didn't work out this year with Scan Granillo. I think if they can get the right coordinator, you know, they have playmakers at receiver. They've got to figure out the offensive line. They've got to get a quarterback in the portal. I don't think they're that far off from turning things around. Maybe not top 25 next year, uh, but certainly I think still a winning season. Uh, but certainly in the big picture, it's probably going to end up being a disappointing year for Kentucky considering the expectations and what they had coming back. So how about uh, Tennessee at South Carolina? I believe Tennessee, I think the score was like 28 to zero uh, last season. And, and it, it went all downhill when they asked Jordan Birch to throw a damn pass on a goal line. That was one of the worst. That was the moment Satterfield's ass should have been fired. But here we are a year later, he's still called plays. How do you see this one? <laughs> Is Josh Heupel going to be allowed to coach this game after the uh, the, the internet almost wanted him like you know jailed for for throwing against Missouri uh, on Saturday? Uh, you know, in all seriousness, I think for Tennessee, I think style points are are pretty important at this point of the game. Uh, they're in the mix to make the college football playoff. You need to impress uh, the committee as much as you can. If you've got to outscore your opponent by forty points, you better do it on, on Saturday. I think that the the thing that would worry me from Tennessee is not so much a personnel thing. It's the crowd and home environment and taking them out of the game early. Because if South Carolina can hang around and they have a blocked kick that they returned for a score, Tennessee falls behind, I think you'd start to get a little bit worried if you're Tennessee. Saying all that, if Tennessee jumps ahead, I mean, they're favored by 21 or, or so, they should win this game easily. It's just hard to see South Carolina absent a couple plays on special teams, a defensive touchdown, being able to trade score for score uh, with Tennessee on Saturday. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this, Stephen. I, I retweeted it, but one of the writers down there, fascinating. I mean, this is, what, 10 games into the season. South Carolina has never, the score essentially has never switched. So if they jump out to the early lead, they win the game. If they fall early, they lose. It it has never traded in a South Carolina game. That's insane. So it's paramount that they get off to a, a fast start here because this is this is a nightmare matchup otherwise, like you said there. But yeah, I mean we gotta play Beamer Ball. <laughs> as cheesy as that is, they do it. They do it week in and week out. They score on special teams. Somehow Pete Lumbo, I mean, he's gotta be up for a coordinator of the of the year, I would have to think, in the SEC, but you know, a little aside to this game, Jalen Hyatt, who's off to an All-American type season, he's from down there in Columbia. I think he wanted to be a Gamecock. They never offered him. I realized that was the previous coaching staff. But that does not bode well for South Carolina's defense here on Saturday, does it? No, not at all. And <laughs> and if, if Missouri couldn't slow down Tennessee – I'm not sure that South Carolina is going to have a lot of success either. I think Missouri's defense is in a, was in a little bit better position to maybe do some things at the line of scrimmage and, and cause some havoc there. I, I think to to your to your point, you know the, the the path for me for a South Carolina upset starts with like a the same thing we saw against A and M. It starts with like a kickoff return, 
Maybe they get a block punt later on. They get short fields. If this game is Tennessee scores, South Carolina has to drive an answer. Forget about it. They're not going to be able to trade score for score. Marshawn Lloyd coming back, you know, should help South Carolina. You know, maybe maybe there's some things they can do offensively, getting that ground game going, trying to play keep away. This is a pretty heavy lift, though, for South Carolina. I mean, it's going to take a, a total team effort and everything going right. Also, I think out, we saw this outside of Georgia. You know, Tennessee doesn't get slowed down many times. The, the Tennessee can slow Tennessee down. Uh, that might be the only thing that stops if Hendon Hooker throws a couple interceptions um, or, or Tennessee's just off on offense. But yeah. how many times have we seen that this year? It's probably not going to happen. Right. And to your point, the crowd's got to be huge. Tennessee struggled at, at Pitt for a lot of that, struggled at Georgia. LSU, not quite. <laughs> I mean, they steamrolled them. So that's about your, your best shot there if you're a Gamecock. How about this one, Stephen? Florida at Vanderbilt. Florida, you know, they're they're improving at the right time. This is what you want to see. Whereas Vanderbilt also, you know, they've been scrappy. They, they had an opportunity against South Carolina before that thing went the wrong way. And then, of course, just beating Kentucky. I, I was shocked, Stephen. The line, 15. At least that's what it was at opening. Uh, that, I think... And in this Florida Vanderbilt series, for whatever reason, has been at times somewhat competitive here. So uh, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think that's the first thing that jumped out to me was the spread. I mean, I think Vanderbilt getting some respect here. If you had asked me on Saturday night what the spread might be, I would say, you know, it might have been around 20 points. You know, I think Florida might have been around three touchdowns. But, you know, for Vanderbilt to be 14, 15 points, in this game, I think is is probably a sign of um, you know first of all it's respect, but also I think the the broader growth of Vanderbilt. You know, I know they're not going to go to a bowl game this year absent winning some upsets here the rest of the way, but I think you're seeing progress out of Vanderbilt, and so I think at home can they pull off another upset the week after they just went on the road and beat Kentucky? I'll be interested to see if they can continue to do a little bit of what they did on offense on Saturday. You know, Mike Wright did some great things at quarterback. What happens with, with AJ Swan when he comes back, how do they work uh, together? Both of these de- defenses have struggled this year. And so I, when you look at the the rush defense in the SEC and you see what Florida has been putting up the last couple of weeks, it's probably going to be a good week to be, you know, Trevor Etienne, Montreal Johnson and Anthony Richardson on the ground. So I, I think Vanderbilt is playing better, but they're going to have their hands full against this Florida rushing attack. Well, I don't know if, if you know this, Stephen, them Gators, they don't like the cold. And <laughs> you live up here, too. It's getting cold this week. So that's <laughs> that's something to keep in the back of your mind. But let me ask you this. this is not really related to this game necessarily, but there's uh, rumblings that Anthony Richardson will not be back. He was non-committal. He was asked after the the game against South Carolina, was you know, is this your final uh, game in the swamp or whatever? And, and he wouldn't. Again, he was non-committal. Uh, do you do you think that would be wise of him to go pro or? Because I'm of the opinion that he has obviously flashed massive talent, but I think if he has a full year of consistency, man, he could he probably is in the conversation for the first overall pick. Uh, I, I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? If if my name was Anthony Richardson and I was as talented as he he is, I would probably come back for another year. I think there's, you know, this is basically his first four year 
as the starter. And I think we've seen progress from year one to year two. And if this offseason, if Florida can go out and add some weapons at receiver, allow him to showcase more of his um, you know, passing ability and continue to develop with a full offseason under Napier, you know, I like his chances to be, you know, pretty highly picked in the NFL. If you if you start thinking ahead to next year, you know, Drake May of North Carolina, Caleb Williams of USC, there could be some, you know, thinking ahead to the NFL draft. And if you're a quarterback, do you want to come out this year or next year? But I think Anthony Richardson could increase his stock if he comes back. The flip side of that is we know the NFL loves upside. And if if the NFL, when they watch what Anthony Richardson has and the potential that he could be, they're going to fall in love with that skill set. So it, it'll be an interesting uh, discussion for him. Me personally, I would come back and play one more year at Florida and continue to develop. Yeah, and he'll be an interesting test case. Let's say he gets, I have no idea, but let's just say he gets like a round two grade or whatever, and he takes that back to Florida and their NIL says, well, here's $5 million. You know what I mean? Like, it's probably worth it to come back for, you know, d- depending on what that price may be. So that, that's just something to keep in the back of your mind. But it now, could also, this is also one of the advantages of NIL too, is that, I mean, if you're, you know, someone like Anthony Richardson, you could cash in for, for one season, but also if, if you're Florida and you lose Anthony Richardson, you're scrambling to find a quarterback. I mean, I, I think Billy Napier would find somebody in the portal and he's, he's obviously done that in, in recruiting. But Florida, probably top 25 team next year with Anthony Richardson. Maybe not, if at least at the start of the year, if, if he doesn't come back. So there, there's advantages to NIL and keeping that roster together and could be huge in this case. Right. All right, final SEC showdown, Stephen. Ole Miss on the road at Arkansas. Ole Miss coming off a heartbreaker. Could say the same thing about Arkansas, but they had their opportunities to knock off a top ten team. I don't know if you've seen the forecast, Stephen, but it's I think it's in the thirties, and I saw a low of nineteen. <laughs> so this is gonna be another uh, wild game here. These these two always have an interesting back and forth battle. They hate each other. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? It's a really interesting setup for this game because, like you mentioned, it's been a weird back and forth between these two programs uh, the last couple of years. I'm curious about motivation for Ole Miss. You know, they just lost Alabama. The SEC West is gone. They're sort of fighting the same thing that Alabama did last week. I think if you're Arkansas, the, the motivation is pretty clear. You got to win one to be able to play one more in the bowl game. So if you can win this one or Missouri or both, you know, you start to improve your postseason outlook and you also not necessarily going to change some of the questions from this season and the disappointment, but at least you finish seven and five and have a chance to, to get to eight wins in a bowl game. So I'm curious overall about motivation. You look at the way that both defenses have played and they've struggled. Uh, if if the weather's not too big of a factor, I could see it being kind of a fun, high-scoring game. Big question is is whether or not KJ Jefferson, you know, is is going to be able to play. I think it's pretty clear. I know LSU's defense is good, but I think Jefferson it, it needs to be out there for Arkansas to win this game. Yeah, and you mentioned KJ. He's from Mississippi, so this is a personal game. Remember when they played in Oxford last year? He it looked like he had about a dozen family members there. So this this is a big game for him, big game for Arkansas. And the matchup, Stephen, the last two years, 
Of course, Lane Kiffin won it last year, Barry Odom the year before. That that match of a Barry Odom's defense versus Lane Kiffin's offense is is very fun, and, and it's a chess match there. So cannot wait to see this showdown. I think this is going to be the best game of the week in the SEC. Let, let me ask you this, though, Stephen. Of the four matchups, conference games, if you had to pick – uh, the way I have it right now, the last I checked, all the road teams are favored, like I said. If there is a, an, a, a home team that's going to win outright, which one is most likely in your mind? Arkansas. Yeah, I think the Razorbacks at home, uh, You know, some of the series things that we've mentioned, these games between the two recently are, are pretty close. I think the urgency, I think, too, for Arkansas to, to win and get to six, and like you said, the, the motivation there, for KJ Jefferson, I think it's going to be probably a pretty high scoring game based upon the way the two defenses have played. And I think if you, if Jefferson is healthy, there's going to be plenty of opportunities to move the ball against Ole Miss in this game. So I, I think it's definitely Arkansas for me. All right. So, so Stephen, I had you kind of rank the, the non-conference matchups because um, I don't know anything about these teams. So I'm relying on you to, to provide some insight on uh, we got six games here in the SEC this weekend that are non-conference. So uh, let's start with the with the one that you think will give us the least of uh, amount of uh, upset potential this weekend. I'll start with the two FCS games. Uh, th- those are the <laughs> ones that I think you if you're if you're Nick Saban, you can go ahead and prep for Auburn. Uh, if you're Mike Leach, you could go ahead and start prepping for Ole Miss. Uh, to, to go back to, for something for a second too, I think. The timing of the Arkansas game is terrible, too, for Ole Miss, with Mississippi State coming up after the Alabama game. So um, another reason to think that Arkansas maybe could pull off the upset on Saturday. But, yeah, I think the FCS games, I think Alabama and Mississippi State are going to be just fine on Saturday and probably won't have to sweat too much. Games where we probably will see a lot of players who haven't played a whole lot this year. So I think that's always interesting to me. Mm, yeah, yeah, Austin. I didn't think I was hoping you'd say Austin P and the upset over uh, Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Hey, I might be. I, I graduated from Austin P, but you know, <laughs> let's be honest here. <laughs> All right. So, how about the other four matchups? Uh, it, any? Uh, what's the what's the least amount of potential for an upset here? UMass at Texas A and M. Really? Think UMass, I think UMass <laughs> is the worst team in college football right now. Uh, they are under a first-year coach in Don Brown. If you know anything about Don Brown and his history, his nickname is Dr. Blitz. He loves the blitz on defense. He may not have the personnel at UMass yet, like he did at Michigan and some of his other stops. Uh, but offensively, they are not good. They have trouble at quarterback. They've had inconsistency in the passing game all year. Their defense is a little bit better, but not by much uh, from last season, averaging about 14 points a game on offense. They've thrown four touchdown passes all year. Their only win came against Stony Brook. So I think if you're A&M, you can probably sleep easy here. Well, I don't know, Steven. I mean, you're probably right, but the last I checked, the spread is 29. I'm taking UMass because I don't know if Texas A&M can score 29 points in a damn ball game. 30 to nothing shoot, uh, <laughs> shutout, right? <laughs> All right, so what's the next uh, uh, upset potential here? I think New Mexico State. On, 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 from least uh, to, to most here, it would be New Mexico State against Missouri. Plenty of motivation here 
for Missouri, you know, with the potential to get to a bowl game. If you win this one, you set up the, the game against Arkansas to be winning in. New Mexico State's interesting. Uh, you know, you, you may have remember a coach by the name of Jerry Kill. He was at Minnesota before. He's now at New Mexico State, and they are improving. Uh, they're four and five this year. Uh, it's a really hard job. You'll probably see more of New Mexico State if you follow uh, SEC Southern football because they're moving to Conference USA next year. Uh, a stat, they have scored 179 points this year. 96 of that came in two games. Uh, they they lost to Minnesota and Wisconsin in games against Power 5 opponents. They've beaten Hawaii, New Mexico, UMass, and Lamar. So they've beaten a lot of bad teams. I know they got four wins, but I don't think with their offensive struggles they will threaten Missouri too much. Yeah, and you got to imagine after Missouri kind of got thrashed by the Vols, they'll – you know, they'll want to respond on the defensive side. You know what? I agree with that. Yeah, I think this is a game they should be able to. Uh, New Mexico State, they, they struggled against Wisconsin and Minnesota uh, under 10 points in both games to be able to get anything going. They've had quarterback issues. They don't run the ball particularly well. So if if you play college fantasy football and you need a defense, this would be a great week to, to get Missouri. <laughs> All right, so we got two matchups. What's the next one on your list, Stephen? I think it's the SEC after dark. Uh, the UAB Ooh. going to to play LSU uh, on Saturday night. You know, UAB is probably one of the more disappointing Group of Five teams this year. Their their head coach at the start of the season was Bill Clark. He had to step away due to some medical concerns, and they have an interim coach this year. They were picked at the top of the conference to start the season, but they've just been disappointing. They do have some potential pieces that could give LSU some headaches. Uh, Dwayne McBride, Jermaine Brown, a very effective one-two punch at running back, and their defense is really good too. It's one of the better groups in Conference USA. They've just been inconsistent. They've had trouble in, in losses with turnovers. They're just not the same team as they were last year. If Bill Clark was leading UAB in this game, you could maybe say LSU coming off, clinching the West, maybe a little letdown. I think LSU will take care of business here. So that means we got only just one matchup left, Western Kentucky at Auburn. And I was surprised, Stephen, at least the spread when it opened was less than a touchdown. Um, So Western Kentucky, they must be a, a decent team here. They are. You know, I think something interesting about Western Kentucky is what they did last year to set them up in this position. They hired an offensive coordinator from Houston Baptist, and they brought in the quarterback and a couple receivers from that team. That quarterback is Bailey Zappi. You may know him from the NFL and starting for the Patriots a couple times this year. They have that same style system in place. Uh, a lot of the pieces from last year are gone. Zach Kitley, the offensive coordinator, is now calling plays at Texas Tech. But that system still remains, and that system has been pretty productive. They rank in the top 10 nationally in pass attempts. They love to throw the ball around. Austin Reed is their quarterback. He's a transfer from West Florida, and he's having a really good season, uh, 31 touchdowns to just seven interceptions. They've got one of the better receiving cores at the group of five levels, so they can threaten you on offense. And I think the spread probably is is sort of an indication of if Auburn's in a close game, Western Kentucky can at least score to keep it close. So I, I think if you're Auburn, you know, getting the ground game going much like you have the last couple of weeks 
uh, is probably the best here just to keep Western Kentucky off the field and not have to try to defend, you know, 40 or 50 pass attempts from this offense. Man, to go from Jimbo's offense to that one. So that, that's a nightmare for preparation, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is just – it's a it's a fun offense to watch, and, and I guess maybe A&M should maybe make a run at Zach Kitley if they – you know, assuming that Jimbo wants to, to hire an offensive coordinator. But they will chuck it around. If you like watching teams that can throw it, they can do it. And also defensively, they've been really good this year. One of the better groups in Conference USA. If you look at their season so far, their three losses, Detroit, UTSA, and a close loss to Indiana, a team, a game they could have easily have won. So this is not a bad uh, team coming in from Conference USA. One caveat, though, is they're still alive to win Conference USA and play in the Conference Championship game. So if you have some guys who are hurt, do you hold them out for next week uh, when conference play matters if you're Western Kentucky? Interesting. Man, <laughs> that's yeah, that's a wild card. Now you got me thinking. That's that's pretty bad. You sit sit someone for an SEC matchup, but hey, you got to do what you got to do, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to add doubt in your mind to predictions <laughs> this week. <laughs> well, Steven, I appreciate you stopping by the show. As always, these are always one of the highlights of my week. Before you go, can you share with the audience, uh, once again, where to find all your outstanding work? Absolutely. You can check out my work at AthlonSports.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at AthlonSteven, on YouTube, all CFB365, and open invitation. Uh, come swing by Twitter Spaces, Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We talk everything in college football, SEC, playoffs, so uh, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Check out my Twitter account. I uh, would love for anyone to swing by and talk some college football. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, my friend. We'll see you next week. Hey, man, thanks for having me on as always. All right, so just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. Oh, boy, that was a good one. And we'll have Cousin Shane back on the line on the next episode. The Tennessee Homer is actually coming up to Nashville this week. So we're going to have several shows in person for the first time this season. It's going to be fantastic. Cannot wait. Even the flying Hawaiian will be in town. So we got the tripod on camera, breaking down these SEC matchups. More to come. A little bit of a teaser there. Keep you guys locked in for the, for the rest of the week. But uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We appreciate each and every one of you for continuing to support the show. This is going to be our biggest November ever on record so we cannot thank you enough for all the the downloads the reviews the kind words online even the haters we appreciate you too each and every one of you this is just a small independent family business here and uh, you guys are, are what's keeping us afloat so cannot thank you enough as always we'll catch you on the next one